So maybe you heard this story about the famous story about Niagara Falls, the tightrope walker Blondine. So he goes to Niagara Falls and he demonstrates to the people that he's able to walk across the Niagara Falls on a high wire. Remember this? And then he says, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to carry somebody else across with me. And then he says to the people, so, so how many of you believe I can do that? Well, they had just seen him walk across on a tightrope, and most of them just raised their hand. They believed. So he said, who wants to, who wants to be the person I carry across? It was harder to get volunteers. You hear that one? So there's a difference between saying you believe and really believing. And there's a difference between saying, well, I'm a Christian and really being a follower of Jesus Christ. There's just a difference. A lot of people say I'm a Christian. That means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It only means one thing to God, right? But it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Oh, I'm a Christian. Okay, so you're a Christian, but are you a follower of of Jesus Christ. Well, let me say it in a different way. So frequently, I will try to help people in counsel. And, and you, you preach to the big group, and then one-on-one you work through things with people when it comes to the difficulties of their life and the hard decisions that they have to make, right? And so what I like to do is I like to say to people, you know, I am not here to give you my advice. I'm not here to do therapy with you. I'm not here to do, you know, behavioral, behavioral uh, therapy. I'm not here to do... Uh, Rogerian counseling, you know, I, I'm not here to tell you my opinion, right? But, but what I'm here to do is to help you walk with God and consider what, what God has to say. It doesn't so much matter what I have to say, right? If God has something to say. And so here's the way that I often do that with people. I'll say to people, I say, well, you know, here's your problem. And we kind of frame that problem and the difficulty that they're going through or the, the question that they have. And then I will often say to them, I want you to imagine that our Savior, the Lord Jesus, walked in this room right now and he sat down here. Are you a follower of Jesus? They would say, yes, usually. Oh, yes, I am. And do you love Jesus? Yes, I do. Is he, you believe him to be the Son of God? Yes, I do. Will you do what he says? If he gives you counsel, will you do what he says? You know, when you really boil it down, if you got that right, if you have that answer right, it doesn't make your life easy, but it does make your life simple, right? You're going to have to have the power of God to do what the Lord calls you to do because he's on his way to death and he takes us along with him, you know. But the question would be, so if Jesus were here and he were to say to you, this is what I want you to do, would you do it? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you would. Now, if he were to say to you, I'm not going to show up today, but I'm going to send you a letter. Would that change anything? No, it wouldn't, would it? If he, if he wrote something down and he gave it to you, then it wouldn't change anything. If you are a real Christian, you are a, a follower of Jesus. So, guy in my church years ago, who I care a lot about, met with the neighbor lady and got involved in an extramarital uh, adultery with the, with a neighbor lady. He decided that he was going to leave his wife. So I went to meet with him, and and while we were sitting there at a table, I just said to him, his name was Ken. I said, Ken, now this is a guy who was very involved in the church. 
I said to him, Ken, are you a Christian? He looked at me surprised, like, you know I'm a Christian. I said, are you going to be a Christian today? Are you going to be a, are you, in other words, if you weren't a Christian, and if Jesus were to be sitting across the table from you right now, and he were to say, I want you to be loyal and faithful to your wife and break off this adulterous relationship, would you do it? Because that's what a Christian would do. So you see, you know, there are times in our life, many, that, that it's easy to say, well, I'm a Christian. Or, or maybe even I can argue the theology of salvation. I can argue the theology, and I have accurate and precise definitions about the theology of, of salvation. I even have some extra stuff that I got in there, you know, some, some points or some points associated with flowers or something like that, right? And you can, like, do all of that. You can do all the kind of nuances of your view of, of salvation and yet not really be a follower of Jesus. And I know what you're thinking. You're going, I know somebody like that. I know somebody like that. Well, yes, I'll talk about them, you know, this week. Let's, let's think about that another time. Let's just think about us. Let's just apply this to us. Are you, are you a Christian who is a follower of Jesus? This has been on my heart. Now, Pastor Lounsborough, this is going to test our friendship and our fellowship because I just changed my mind about what I was going to speak on today. You did such a good job setting us up for the longings, and that is appropriate. And I didn't tell you because I didn't want to discourage you. But when we thought the power might be out, I thought that the Lord kind of, I believe, nudged my heart in a different direction in case the power was out. And, and it's not, but, I, but when, I, when that was done and I realized the power was going to be restored, this was still on my heart. It's very much on my heart. This has been on my heart all, all summer. And so I want, to, I want to share my heart with you from the Scriptures on are you a follower of Jesus? This has been on my heart all summer. I'll share this with you. Uh, and I, I think it'll be encouraging and useful and maybe perhaps a bit convicting for you. I hope it'll be encouraging and useful for you. And so, but, but I want to pray. It's been a really hard week, hasn't it? Did you know that a 16-year-old boy in our town was killed on Friday afternoon in that, in that power outage? Did you know that? Right here in Taylor, 16. Can you imagine that? Losing a 16-year-old boy. And in our nation, we have racial tension that's so painful. We haven't seen that for a long time. At least we haven't sensed it. We sense a great, thick, painful racial tension, which is very sad. And then we have um, people that have uh, selflessly served uh, for, our, our, uh, for peace and safety of well-being and well-being of people executed on the streets of our nation. We are nearing anarchy, I believe, because we have rejected God's law in our country. And God's people should do some things that are clear. We should pray and confess our sin and confess the sin of our nation and our own sin. We should listen carefully to other people when they hurt and when they express the angst and hurt and pain of their soul in the circumstances that they're in. Uh, and, and so I trust that we would be really careful as a church at a time like this to be really thoughtful people, really godly people, really humble people. And that would mean that we are followers of Jesus Christ. What would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? So, so before we proceed here, and give, I'm going to give you four things that should be true about you if you're a follower of Jesus. Let's pray together and just ask the Lord's special presence with us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this peaceful place and this peaceful time and this beautiful nation in which we live, the, 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 the natural resources in America are just 
overwhelmingly beautiful and rich, and we're grateful. We, our, our, our heritage, our spiritual heritage is also very rich, and yet we acknowledge, God, that many of us have rejected your law. Many in our nation have rejected your law. We've done it in our schools, in our courts, and many of our churches that call themselves churches rejected your law. And we, and we realize that a lot of what we see is because we've demanded it, we've asked for it, and we're getting what we asked for, a godless culture. But help us in this time as devout followers of Jesus Christ to be spirit-led, spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ wherever we are and whatever we do. And we ask this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. So are you a follower of Jesus? It's interesting, when John the Baptist came and he, he was introducing Jesus, and one of the first things he said was what? In, John, in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, the, he comes and he says, here's Jesus, and then he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent. The first thing that John the Baptist said is, you know, here's Jesus, repent. It's about our, our disposition towards sin. He's hinting that followers of Jesus cannot just kind of go on in their sin and with their disregard for their sin, that followers of Jesus are very sensitive to sin. Then in, in, in Matthew in chapter 4, um, in, in verse 17, here is Jesus beginning of his ministry in, in verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, and he began to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. And his first commandment was repent. There are preachers that leave the repentance thing completely out of their, you know, out of their preaching. But Jesus wasn't one of those preachers. John the Baptist wasn't one of those preachers. You can't get started with God until you honestly assess your own sinfulness and admit your sinfulness. And then this characterizes Christians. They, they continually confess sin. They continually repent. And so one of the things that's true about people who aren't just professing Christians, but followers of Christ is the way they enter into faith in Christ is through repentance and realizing that Jesus paid the sin, the penalty for their sin when he died on the cross, was buried and rose again. And they go forward with a broken spirit and a spirit of repentance all the time, quick to admit when they sin. Are you a follower of Jesus? If all we could look at was how does she act when she sins, would we come to the conclusion that you are a follower of Jesus? I went to the bank one time. Actually, I sent my son into the bank. He was about 14 or 15. He had a little job, had a little bit of money. He needed a little bit of money. I sent him. This was in Fremont, Michigan, where I pastored for a while. And, uh, and I, I actually had the privilege of, of uh, writing in the paper every week. Every week they would put a little picture of me in there and, uh, and then a little article. And so there it was. And everybody read that paper. In the small town, nothing else to do. They read that paper. Should have thought of that, but I didn't when that morning they, the teller didn't give Chuck his money. And I thought, that's just ridiculous. You know, so I went in there a little huffy, and I said, can you just give the kid his money? You know, how hard is this? That's his bank account. You know, give him, and it was kind of harsh. To the young lady, I just give him, you know, he just wants $15 of his money. How hard is that? He, you know, it's a bank. You put money in the bank. You got to be able to get it out when you come back. And I kind of kind of gave it to her. And on the way out, what you do with girls that are like a third of your weight, you know, that's just really manly, right? And so on the way out, I'm walking out the door, and Chuck says to me, he's just a kid, and he goes, yeah, you told her. <laughs> and when he said that, it was like, oh. And then we got in the car, and I had to drive him to work. It was just very quiet. It was a Wednesday. 
It was a Wednesday. So on Wednesday, I'm preparing for my Bible study, my prayer time. And I'm at my study, and it's like the Lord said, you sinned against that girl, and you need to make it right. And I knew it. So the next morning, I went to the little place called the Coffee Cup, and I got a little uh, gift certificate, and I went back to the bank. And when I came in, the girl's kind of backed up, like, he's back. I tried to smile and look happy, and I said to the girl, I said, hey, I was here yesterday, and I was impolite, and I... And I, 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 I had a little debate at my desk. I remember the debate in my mind was, do I go back and just ask forgiveness and then bail, get out? Or do I ask forgiveness and do I tell them I'm a Christian and God convicted me? <laughs> so I felt like I should say I'm a Christian and God convicted me. So I go in and I walk, I'm standing there and I'm talking to this girl and I said, I, I, I wanted to give you this little gift. I was impolite yesterday. I shouldn't have done that. I know you were just keeping the rules you had. I'm a Christian. God made me feel bad about this. And when she said that, when I said that, the girl looked at the girl working with her. I said, I told you he would be back. We read your article in the paper every week. And I went out and got in the car, and I thought, oh, what if I hadn't gone back? I'm so encouraged when, when, when you, when God works on your heart and you, no matter how long you've known the Lord and no matter how much you are like the Lord, that when you fail to act in the Christian way, that you openly seek forgiveness, that you admit. That's what followers of Jesus do. They admit when they sin. That's what makes church work, right? People in church say, we admit when we sin. We go ask forgiveness. We say we're sorry. That's what makes marriage work. Marriage doesn't work without that. I had a funeral here a week ago, or a couple weeks ago, right? Max Hammer and Carolyn. You know what I noticed about her and him? She loved him. Till he died, she loved him. And I thought, I want my Lois to love me like that till I die. So I'm going to be good to her. I'm going to be good to her. Max must have been good to her because she loved him until he died. Listen, people, we, we can't have Christian marriage. You can't have any relationship with anybody unless you're willing to admit when you make a mistake and you ask forgiveness. You can't have a Christian church and not admit when you sin. You can't get along well and raise kids that are spiritually and emotionally healthy if you don't Admit when you sin, because we do sin. If any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a tender heart about sin. That's just the way it is. That's number one. If you go to 1 John, you can read there in 1 John. It says that very clearly in verse 7 through 9 or 10. He, he equates it with light. God is light. There's no darkness in him. There's no sin in him. And if you are a Christian, there's light in you. And if you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourselves. The truth is not in you. But you confess your sin, and he's faithful, and he's just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all un unrighteousness. That's what it means to be a Christian. Praise be unto God that we can say, I'm a forgiven sinner. But that, that means that followers of Jesus are people who are tenderhearted about sin, and they stay that way all the time, and they're, they're open about that. If you're a real man... You're not a man that's unwilling to admit when you're wrong. If you're a real man, you're willing to admit when you're wrong. 
If you really, if you're a lady who really has the Holy Spirit living in you, you aren't going to like it when he convicts you, but you're going to have to do what he says, right? This is such an encouragement to me. I see this, I see this in people that, that know the Lord. And I go, I can tell that the Lord is in them because even though they don't want to, they can, do you do that? Are you say, why are you a Christian? Yeah. Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you confess your sin? That's, that's number one. Here's number two. Real Christians that are followers of Jesus, and that's the command that he gave, go make followers of Jesus, right? They confess their sin. Here's another one. Real Christians forgive people when they confess their sin. They're eager to forgive other people. They're merciful, right? Blessed are the merciful. They have shall obtain mercy. If you're a Christian, then one day you realize that you deserve to die and go to hell. And you realize that Jesus Christ died in your place. Being a Christian isn't you go to church and you try to be as good as you can and hope that in the end, you know, you make it under the wire. That's not what it, right? You know that. Being a Christian is you threw yourself on the mercy of Jesus and what that looked like was you went and you knelt at the foot of the cross one day, right? You knelt at the foot of the cross and you said, Jesus, I want what you've offered to me. I want your forgiveness. So, so a person kneeling at the foot of the cross can't say to somebody else who wants to come and kneel at the foot of the cross next to them, hey, you can't do that. Go away from here. We're not going to forgive you. The mercy's all mine. You know, if you really have mercy, it's not that way. You live under the mercy, right? You go under the mercy. You die under the mercy. You, that's being a believer is you've been given mercy. Jesus Christ, our Savior, one of the things that makes him so beautiful is that when he died on the cross, people were torturing him and crucifying him, and he was forgiving people while he died. Jesus, Father, forgive him. It came out of his mouth, Father, forgive them. To the people that were torturing him naked in front of his mother. And then the, the, the malefactors, right, the thieves on either side, and they both were mocking, and then the one in, in the darkness began to realize who Jesus was. And he forgives him of his sin and welcomes him into eternal life that very moment. That's what makes, that's one of the things that makes Jesus Christ so beautiful, is he's merciful. And you can't say, I'm a Christian, but I don't forgive people sometimes. You just can't say that. You are not a follower of Jesus Christ if you withhold forgiveness from other people. He said that himself over and over again. You can't say, I'm a Christian, but I just, um, I'll believe it when I see it. I'm not going to forgive. A real Christian is a person with a disposition that leans toward offering forgiveness when it's asked. It's willing to forgive. They're eager to forgive. When I was a boy, I had a little dog. It was a little black dog that my grandmother gave me. It was a poodle. And we didn't cut it, you know, like the little weird way. It was just a, you just let him grow kind of naturally. He was a cute little dog. And if you cut your poodle weird, don't get mad at me. It's just, uh, but quit doing that. That's weird. But anyway, we didn't do that. We had this little poodle. It was an adorable little thing. I called it Raisin. It was a little black poodle, and it slept on the end of my bed. And it nuzzled my he nosed my foot in the night to take him out. And, and I was in junior high, and I felt like nobody loved me. And my parents did, but, man, junior high was just a really brutal time for me. But I always had that little dog. When I, when I came home, he was always looking forward to seeing me, jumping around and making a big deal, like you're supposed to do when your husband comes home. And, and uh, he was just that way. And one day, uh, I, over Christmas break, I... I went to get the mail, and I wasn't really paying attention. I just opened the door to get the mail, and he, he ran out the door, ran out to the street, and immediately under the tires of a car, he was killed. 
And uh, that just crushed me. It broke my heart. And the thing, and it just, it, like, especially because of what that dog meant to me, what I was going through, my heart was just broken for the longest time. I couldn't sleep at night. I cried. And I could just see that over and over again. And the thing that really bothered me was the lady that ran over and didn't stop. I thought, why didn't you stop? Why don't you at least stop and come back and say, I'm sorry? And she didn't do that. She just kept going. And so later on, this similar thing happened to my boy, Kyle, that preached last week. By the way, thanks for coming to hear my boy preach. That was nice. And I hope he was a blessing to you. When he was a little boy, a guy shot his dog. And it was sad, and, and he lived across the street, and he was just a little boy. And when we discovered it, I remember thinking how bitter I was and how hurt I was. And, and I said to Kyle, we were sitting there, it was a November night, it was kind of warm outside, we were sitting on the porch, and I said, the neighbor, you know, your dog was getting into his chickens, and he shot him. And he had the right to do that. And we need to go over there and tell him it's okay. He feels bad about it. And we need to go over there and tell him it's okay. And Kyle was a real willing little boy, and so he goes, okay, Dad. Lois made the, his name was Mr. Rousseau, Gene Rousseau. Lois made him oatmeal cookies. And that night, we went, the next night, we went over to Mr. Rousseau's house, and I said to Kyle, I said, I want you to tell him, it was our, it's, you know, it's our fault we didn't take good care of the dog, and please forgive us for, for not doing that, and we forgive you. Well, I could tell you a big, long version of this story that's really fun to tell, but I'll just tell you this. As a result of that, our neighbor, Gene Rousseau, shows up in church, and everybody was shocked. This is not a church-going guy. This guy raised fighting chickens, you know what I'm saying? He shows up in church, and he's like, Gene Rousseau's in church. Even his name, right? It's the name of a famous skeptic, Gene Rousseau. He's sitting there with a tie and a suit, a suit and tie on in church, and he comes back every week. And then one day, when we were getting ready, that we were doing the greeting, he says, I want you to come over and take care of my arrangements. And I got a boy named Tim Gerhardt and, and, and my son Kyle. And we went over to Mr. Rousseau's house, and we led him to the Lord. He knelt by his coffee table and prayed humbly to receive Christ. He was ready to go because Christians know that you forgive people. That's one of the beautiful things about Jesus was he was a forgiver. He was merciful. There's two kinds of people who need mercy. People who hurt and people who hurt you. And Jesus gives mercy to people who hurt. So if someone's hurting... You may not understand. In our nation today, there are people that are very hurt. They're very, very hurt. And you may not understand they're hurt. It may not, it may not be able to calculate why they would be hurt. But look at them. They're hurt. And Jesus moves toward hurt. He flows toward hurt. When Jesus walks in a room, he walks to the hurt. That's the way he is. That's what makes him so beautiful. When I hurt, Jesus comes toward me. He's nigh unto those that have a broken heart, saves those that have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The Lord delivers them out of them all. Jesus flows toward the hurt, and Jesus' people flow toward the hurt. We watch for people who are hurting, and we go listen to them, and we try to understand their pain, and we care about them. That needs to happen in America today. There's enough hurt to go around. There needs to be more Christians who flow to the hurt and show mercy and those are, are going to be people sometimes who hurt others. They're going to be sometimes people who hurt you. Sometimes the, the mercy you show... Do you remember uh, Jesus' story in Matthew 18? And when and Peter says, how many times do I forgive my neighbor? Seven times. Jesus says 70 times seven. And then Jesus launches into a little, a little story. 
about one who owed a great amount. And then he appealed for forgiveness and he got forgiveness of his great debt. And then he immediately went out and demanded payment from somebody who owed him less. And then the, the king in the story comes back and says, throw him into the torture chamber, you know, the tormentors. And then Jesus' commentary at the end of that in Matthew 18 says, and so will God do to you if you don't forgive people from your heart. It's pretty scary stuff. It's serious. Jesus was serious about that. He didn't just go around having tea with old ladies. I think he loved old ladies, but that's not all that he did, right? Jesus was abused, and he was tortured, and he was crucified, and he calls us to follow him and live like he lived and do what he did, including showing mercy and and showing love and paying attention to people. Jesus stooped for people. Jesus stopped for people. Jesus listened to people. Had a busy month in, in, in June, and a wonderfully busy month, just preaching and preaching and preaching, and, uh, from Kentucky to, uh, to uh, Canada to, uh, to northern Michigan and here in between. And there was one day I wouldn't be preaching. It would be that Monday before I went to Camp Barakel. And that one day was when, in the providence of God, that was Max Hammer's funeral that day. And so, as he would want me to do, I got to preach the gospel right here. And then the next morning, I would leave for camp and preach twice a day, all through the weekend. And I love that, being busy preaching the gospel. How fun, right? And so that night, I went home, and I was tired. I picked out a, a book by Sigurd Olson. I like to read on nature. And, and I had a, a, it was about 9 o'clock at night, and... I went to sit down in my chair and to read this book. And when I got to sit down in the chair and open the book and begin to read, I noticed my neighbor, Joe, had started a fire out back. And he was sitting alone by the fire. And I had a little tug in my heart to go over and listen to him. He's like I am. He just loves to talk. And, you know, and he, he especially loves politics. I, I don't really like to talk about politics myself. That's not my thing I like to talk about at all just so you know if you want to hang out with me i'll talk politics if you want to but you might not like what i say you know and anyway so he wanted to talk politics I, he loves politics and likes to watch the news and anyway i, I just felt a tug in my heart i went over to lois i said i think i'm gonna go over and talk to joe you said she said you'll be there for a while because well we both talk a lot you know i go i know i know i just feel like that's what i ought to do so I walked over, and he was very gracious. And he's sitting there by the fire, and we just talked. And I, I decided that I was going to listen to him. I'd been over there before one time, and he's been here to church, and I've really given Joe the gospel clearly, and he's understood that. And so he, I listened to him for a long time, and he talked a lot about politics. And I, I just like listened really carefully, made myself listen, you know, really carefully uh, to that. And just that's what I'm going to do tonight, you know. About an hour and a half into that, he just stops and he goes, I love talking to you. He said, you're so knowledgeable about the Bible. I have a question. How do we know that the Bible is really true, that it's not just like passed on verbally from one person to another and it's got corrupted on the way? And then I talked until midnight. 
I mean, not just that one question. He asked a series of questions, and I came in at midnight, just, wasn't I, Lord? Just joyful, like, man, that was, like, awesome. We got to talk about Jesus for hours. Christians are people who show mercy and who show love and compassion, and they stop and they stoop and they listen to people. And when that happens, it's very powerful. Followers of Jesus are sensitive about sin. They confess their sin. Followers of Jesus also, they also forgive other people when they're sinned against. Here's a third thing that's true about followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus love. They're lovers. Jesus loved and followers of Jesus love. He said that himself many places, many times. Sin it about our enemies in Matthew 5.44. If you turn there in your Bible and you look at Matthew 5.44, you see that the Lord Jesus was very specific about how to love. And often think about this. Well, what do you do when somebody says something cruel to you and it's painful? Jesus said what to do when somebody says cruel, painful things about you or to you. What do you do if somebody hates on you and they do things that are unkind to you? Jesus had people hate on him and he told us exactly what, how to love when somebody hates on us. What if they never quit? What if they not only talk bad about you and they do bad things to you, but what if they persistently just persecute you and they know stop and they and they're like you they, you know they make sport out of being your enemy what do you do that jesus told us what to do we're not lacking information not at all the bible's clear jesus says if somebody curses you what do you do okay let's just read it matthew 5 and verse 43 you've heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say love your enemies what does he say next Bless those who curse you. Bless is, that's the best you can do. The curse is to, is to forecast a, 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 a bad end for somebody, especially like curse them to hell, for instance. A curse is to say something that kind of forecasts something negative on them. And a blessing is the opposite, is to wish God's best for them and to forecast God's best. He says when somebody curses you, when they say something bad to you or about you, you say something good to or about them. Now, how often, how many of you are Christians? Raise your hand if you're a Christian. Raise your hand. Come on. You're a Christian. Okay. Put your hand back down. All right. Not going to ask you to raise your hand now. But how many of you always say something good when somebody says something bad about you? Now, see, that's when we know who the real Christians are right there. That's when I'm really Christian, not just like I say I'm Christian. It's when I actually do what Jesus says, and somebody says something bad to me, I say something good to them. Or says something says something bad about me, I say something good about them. Then I'm really being Christian. Or when they hate me, I do good to them. Very simple and straightforward. They're hating you, what, what good thing did you do to them? The last person who says something bad about you, what good thing did you say about them or to them? Or what, what gift did you give them? What good thing did you do for them when they did something bad for you? Or, or then if they continue, what does it say? You put them on your prayer list. Man, now they're really on the hit list. They're on your prayer list. If you're going to persecute me, you're moving to the top of my prayer list. Like the real Christian who's a follower of Jesus says, I'm going to pray for you. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that's when I use the imprecatory psalms. You know, blow them up, God. Remember those psalms? Like, blow them up. No, that's not, that's not right. That's, 
You, when you pray for them to come to faith, you pray for them to, to, to understand, you pray for them to come into the fullness of God, you pray for them to find a good place with God and, and to be right with God, and you show them what it looks like. And in the home, whenever the kids were young and they would have little sparks, you know, they learned from mom and dad, we had sparks sometimes, I would always say, who wants to be like Jesus today? They loved it when I would say that. Who's the, who wants to be like Jesus? <laughs> it's not fair, was it? Who wants, to be, who wants to be the first of it? Or sometimes one of the kids would say, they're doing that. I would say, well, show them what it's supposed to look like. You wouldn't like me to be your dad, right? Show them what it's supposed to look like. Show them what forgiveness looks like. Show them what, what love looks like. Show them what mercy looks like. Show them what patience looks like. Show them what blessing and giving gifts and, and praying. That's what Jesus said. That's interesting, isn't it? We have racial tension in our nation. I'm not really sure most of us understand it. I don't think I do, but you can see it's there. I heard about a, an Italian immigrant that was, he had a place to pick beans, glean beans. His family was desperately poor, and they were, they were immigrants. And so he could go to this field, and the farmer, when there were beans left to glean, they could go into the field, and they could pick those beans, and they could take them to market, and they could sell them. But you had to get there really early in the morning because other people that were really good at this, if they got there ahead of you, they would pick all the beans and you wouldn't get anything. So this little fella gets to the field. He's also been taught to be afraid of black people. When he gets to the field, a big African-American guy is down at the end of the row and he's picking beans down the row really fast. And this little Italian boy just gave up. He just sat down, he put his bucket between his legs and he... He bowed his head and he thought, there's no sense trying to compete with this man as he just came down that row picking those beans. And then when this massive African-American guy got to him, he took his bucket and he dumped it into the little boy's bucket. And he said, I want you to pass on the good favor when you can. It's a sensitive story, but there weren't many African-American people around where I was raised. And I remember distinctly the first African-American person I met I was in Grand Rapids, and my dad was a custodian. He was a pastor and a seminary student and a custodian at a, at a, at a parochial school. And he let me go down to the drugstore because there was a toy I wanted down there. And he said he'd give me the money if I'd go get this toy. And I said, will you take me? And he said he had a little glimmer in his eyes a few years ago. He said, no, I want you to go. I want you to walk down there. I had to walk to a neighborhood populated by people who were a different color than me. And so that made me nervous. But I wanted that toy, and so I went. Kind of made my way through that neighborhood. I got my toy, and I made my way back through, and I'm like, glad that's over with, you know. My dad, who's very careful with money, realized that the girl who was flirting with her boyfriend didn't give me enough change, and he said, I want you to go back and get you. They, she owes you a dime. You've got, you got to go back. And I'm like, no, I can't. It's getting dark out there. I don't want to go back. And my dad says, no, you got to, you know, they need to do right. You need to go back. And oh, man. So I go back. My dad's a really nice guy. In this story, he seems really cruel, but he's a great guy. So he, 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 he says, go back. So I go back, and the girl still flirting with her boyfriend, and I, I try to make an appeal. And she goes, look, you know, I gave you the right change. Get out of here. And I'm like, no, no, you didn't. i got to have another dime. My dad says, i got to have. And then the boy has a big low, low voice, and he goes, hey, hey, kid, did you hear what she said? Get, scram, get out of here. And I was like, I was really scared. They were white. So now I'm walking back home, 
I could take you to the place today. I went by there the other day and I took a picture. I could take you to the place. It was one of those little general stores, you know, like of a kind of a mom pop operation. And, and I went back there and I was just crying and I was thinking, what am I going to do? And I thought, maybe somebody in the store will be nice to me. And I, and I walk up the steps into that store and that's the first African American person I ever had a personal conversation with. It was, a, it was an elderly lady and she saw I was crying. And she said, well, honey, what's wrong with you? And I said, you know, I told her the story. And she goes, well, come over here right now. And she took me back to the cash register, and she opened a cash register, and she gave me a dime. And then she took her apron, and she wiped the tears off of my face. And she says, you don't need to cry anymore, honey. You go on. I'm not sure about this. But if I was betting, I would bet she was a Christian. Because that's what Jesus' people do. They love other people. And you cannot say, I'm a follower of Jesus. It's just some people I don't love. Right? Did you sing the song in Sunday school? Red and yellow, black and white. They are. Yeah. Is that true? You believe that? Precious. Something to think about, right? I was, uh, there's a final thing I want to share. Christians that are really followers of Jesus they're sensitive about their sin. They confess their sin. They forgive other people when they sin. They love. And they, and they listen to the voice of the Spirit in their soul and they obey. They obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And he also said when he goes away, he's going to remind us of his commandments. My sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. They do what I say. You can't say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't, I don't listen to him. <laughs> I don't do what he says. No, you're not. You're not a Christian if you don't. Listen to the voice of the Spirit in your soul and obey what he, does, what he says. It's exciting when, when that begins to happen. John 14, 21. I mentioned the other week in John 14, 21 that Jesus said, I'm going to go away. He said to his disciples, I'm going to go away and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And then he went on in verse 21 and he said, while you're keeping my commandments, this is a paraphrase, while you're keeping my commandments, I will manifest myself to you. God, Jesus promised that through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, in enlightenment of the, of the Holy Spirit and giving it the word, was going to give us a manifestation of himself while we were obeying his commandments. You see the Lord. He shows up in your life. I heard of a you got to be careful of this. You know, being a Christian doesn't give you a license to be a fruitcake, right? But I, I, I had a guy, an old elderly guy was saying to me, he said, one time I said to God, you know, I felt like I should go do something which the Bible plainly said he should do anyway. And he didn't really need a sign. He just said, go do it, right? So he said, God, I think I need a sign because it was something he really didn't want to do. He says, God, I need a sign. He didn't know how to get a sign from the Lord. And so he did that whole Bible roulette thing, right? He just took his Bible and he flipped it open. Guess what passage that he landed on? A wicked generation seeks after a sign. He's like, oh! That's what Jesus meant. He said, don't look for a sign. If I've made something really plain in my word, just obey it. But it will say this, that, that what God will do is he will help you apply the word of God in your life. I, one morning I, I was um, a little discouraged and I thought, man, I'd really love to have a talk with some, a really mature Christian that would understand. And, and I thought, you know, it would be great to have a talk with Tom Harmon. I, I love Tom and he's a friend of mine. We talk maybe four times a year. Not that often. And I thought, man, I'd love to have a talk with Tom Harmon, but, you know, he's a busy guy, and so I won't call him. And, and, I, and I came into the office that day, and I sat down at my study at my desk, and the phone rang, and it was Tom Harmon. 
That was an interesting coincidence, wasn't it? That wasn't a coincidence. That was, a, that was sarcasm. God says to Tom, call Ken. He thinks you're too busy, right? Tom, you know, hey, the Lord put you on my heart, Ken. I'm not sure why, but I just thought I would give you a call. Isn't that beautiful? Had a dream <laughs> one night. And there was this person's face in my dream, just as vivid as it could be. I'm just like, I could tell the color of this person's eyes. And you couldn't, I couldn't have told you the color of their eyes before. In the dream, I could see the color of their eyes. And I thought, well, that's odd. It was a Monday morning. I got up and I said, oh, Lord, I'm going to go to Meyer and grab you some stuff for, you can make me a big breakfast and, uh, or something. And when I got to Meyer, I turned around the corner, bang, there's that person looking me right in the eye. And I'm like, the Lord put you on my heart today. It was very important that we meet that particular day. There's more to this story I'll, I won't tell you right now. The other day, my, I was up at camp, and, and my grandson was with me. And there's a guy that's worked at the camp for 40 years, a very quiet guy. He doesn't make any noise. He just serves 40 years. His name is Dan Van Orman. 40 years, right? He just quietly serves. He, he doesn't speak. He doesn't lead chapel. He's just, he just that guy around. You see him everywhere. And my grandson was with me, and... I said, hey, Dan, I want you to meet my grandson. I said, this is my grandson, Kyle. Kyle, this is Mr. Normandin. This is Dan Normandin, I said. So in the morning, I'm ha- I have a dream early in the morning, and it was like, in my dream, it was like, his name isn't Normandin, it's Van Orman. I'm like, that's weird. So guess who sits down with me at breakfast? I go, hey, Dan, I, I want to apologize to you. Last night I introduced you to my grandson as Mr. Normandin, and I know your name is Van Orman, and the Lord reminded me of that this morning. He goes, thanks for saying that. That was just a coincidence, right? Well, I don't think so. I believe this. I believe that we have plenty of stuff to obey right here in the Bible, but I also believe that Jesus is not a silent partner. He, the Holy Spirit, lives in you, and he will remind you about what Jesus said And he will nudge your heart to do things. And when you follow those things, it'll be a pretty exciting life. And you don't do this by self-righteousness. You take initiative by the Spirit's power. Philippians 2.13 says it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You you can't say, I'm going to be a good Christian now. No, just say, I see how beautiful it is to be Christian. And I want to ask you, Holy Spirit of God, this is not like to encourage you to be self-righteous. Jesus spent a lot of his time kind of like taking the pins out from underneath the self-righteous. It's God who works in you to will and to do. So here's what I would suggest that you do today. If this is, any of this has hit you, to say to the Lord, oh, I want to be a Christian today. I want to be a Christian this week. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be, I want to obey you. Like James was saying, faith without works is dead. It's not real. And to say, Lord, if you're not a Christian, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, You're missing a wonderful life, and you're missing a wonderful eternity. And today you could be saved. Come and talk to us. We'll explain exactly how to do that. You can walk away born again. And if you're a believer, most of you are, then let's just talk about that, right? Let's be followers of Jesus. So old farmer one day, standing in his field, somebody came up to him and said, are you a Christian? He didn't speak. He just took a little notebook out of his pocket like farmers carry. And he jotted on the notebook, and he tore off the sheet, and he handed it to him. And then he said, those are the names of the people I trade with. 
why don't you go ask them?